And we are in our Advent series. Uh, and if you don't know what Advent is, I have it in one sentence for you on the screen. You can turn your attentions there. Advent is a season of celebration or celebrated by Christians as a time of waiting for and anticipating the celebration of Jesus' birth as well as his second coming. Amen? And so for the next three weeks, our church is going to be going through Advent. We're going to be preaching about it every single week coming to Christmas time. Um, if you are in a community group, our community group is going to be celebrating Advent. If you're not in a life group, uh, I encourage you to sign up to be in one. You can talk to our folks in the back, and we'll be happy to get you into one. It's something that our church is doing together, and I would love for you to be a part of it. Amen? Have you ever, here's a question, been promised something, and then what you've been promised um, doesn't happen? Anybody? You ever had a promise, and then somebody said they were going to do something or stop doing something, uh, and they didn't? Or have you ever been promised something, and then the thing you've been promised has been delayed? So there's still a possibility that it happened, but each day that possibility becomes less and less. My dad would tell us, um, I'm glad he's not here this morning as I say this, um, he would tell us, I'm taking y'all to Disney World. Uh, my, 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 my dad had five kids, and so we would get excited, and every summer, is this the summer? Could this be the summer? He takes us to Disney World. Now, truth of the matter is, talk about waiting. Uh, I'm still waiting for my dad to take all of us to, to Disney World. I think because of that childhood trauma, um, I hate, I'll be honest, I hate waiting. Um, if you've been under my preaching, you notice I've confessed this to you all on more than one occasion. I hate waiting. I do. I don't, sometimes for me, it's hard to understand why we have to wait. This could be anything. This could be Starbucks. I don't like waiting. And I think God knows this because in this season of, 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 of Christmas, everything is busy and hectic and fast-paced. And in the midst of that, he starts talking to us about Advent or he starts talking to us about waiting. So as we look at our text in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, we're going to talk about the God of promises. You can pick me up in, in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. It says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cor uh, Cornelius was governor of Syria, and all went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And one of the things you learn just on the onset from reading verse 7 is that Luke is a guy. Here he is talking about the most important day in history. And listen to how he tells it. 
And she, gave, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothing and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Isn't that a guy statement? Hey, how was work day? Man, went to work, did what I had to do, came home, that was it. So he doesn't give us a lot of detail. Matthew gives us a lot more, but he gives us enough. And today I want to talk to you about three points from this text. Dealing with delay, the God of promise, and our promise keeper. Let's pray together before we jump into this word. Father, thank you for the entrance of your word. It brings light. I pray that you would illuminate our paths. As we, as we have been praying for this, ser- this service, one of the things we've been praying for is that you would move distractions out of the way, that you would make this ground fertile ground, that you would clear the fogginess of our minds. So I pray that we would hear the engrafted word of God that's able to save our souls. Lord, this morning, some need to be encouraged to go deeper in their faith. This morning, some need to surrender some point of their life to you. Some, some need to hear what the gospel is so they can believe it and trust it and apply it to their lives. God, I pray that you would do miraculous things in our midst this morning. I pray that you would Take us where you are calling us to go so that we may glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said before, I said again, Christmas is a busy season. (coughs) And as we come to Advent, what we are coming to is the waiting room of the Christian calendar. Advent reminds us that we are in a season of waiting. And just because <coughs> Pastor Rodney dislikes waiting does not mean that God responds to my dislike of waiting by speeding things up or even giving me some tool that I can use to speed things up in my life. As I come to understand it, God has no problem with Rodney waiting. So as we come to our text this morning, I want us to be reminded that maybe this morning one of the things God is trying to get you and I to do is to understand how to wait and deal with delay. Because here's what we can be sure of. He makes good on his promises. And for some of y'all, I don't even have to preach that point that hard because you have lived long enough in your faith to know that the God that promised is faithful. So if he has not done it yet, it doesn't mean he won't do it. It means we find ourselves in a season of waiting. So how do we deal when life isn't moving at the speed we want it to? I think there are four things that we're tempted to do while waiting. Number one, I think we are tempted to get distracted while we wait. Most of us this holiday season, uh, we, it, it's not a time where we're going to be renouncing Jesus Christ, saying I'm not a follower of Jesus anymore, I'm, I'm denying who he is, not really In the holiday season, I think the temptation for you and I is not to renounce who Jesus is, it's to be distracted away from who Jesus is and how he's called us to live. 
I think we have the temptation of being preoccupied with the season and all the festivities and forget the reason for the season, which is Jesus. You see, when I'm dealing with delay, I'm tempted to be distracted. Number two, I'm tempted to suffer discouragement. You see, discouragement says, can I really, can I really depend on this Jesus that promised to deliver? I don't see him showing up in my life. I don't see him showing up in my family. I don't see him showing up in my relationships. I don't see him showing up in my promises or, 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 or his provision for me. I don't see him showing up in my singleness. I don't see him showing up in my marriage. How can I trust this God who promises to be there for me when I don't see or feel him? We are tempted to be discouraged. Discouragement settled in can lead to doubt. Did he really promise that anyway? Is there really even a Jesus? Did he really come? And if I can be distracted and I can be discouraged and I can doubt, why in the world would I obey? I'll just say, if, if I can't really depend on him, then I'm not going to listen to what he had to say. I'll do what I feel is best. You see, when we are in the midst of delay, we can be tempted to disobey. Here is a truism that we can count on, and this is good news, and I need you to hear this this morning, if you're in a season of waiting or a season uh, where, where, where God just has you in between uh, what you are believing him to do and seeing that thing being done, if you are in the middle of that, that period, here's what I want to say to you. God does not have us waiting for the sake of waiting. That's a, that's a good truism right there. He's not just saying wait to wait. Now, you know if you've had bosses or even sometimes your parents, they'll just let you wait to wait. Daddy, is it time to go yet? No, just sit down and wait. We ain't, we ain't got no reason for it. We're just flexing our, our parental authority. Just wait to wait and sit down and be quiet and wait. Sometimes bosses do that to you, right? There's time for promotion. They have you waiting, just wait. But God doesn't have us waiting just to wait. While he has us waiting, he has us in process. In other words, there are things that God is teaching us and, and causing us to understand in the midst of the waiting season. He doesn't have you waiting just to waiting. He has you in process. And that's good news because here's what that reminds us is God is up to something even when I can't trace him or see him or feel him. He has not vacated the throne. He's still in authority and he's working things out in my life even when I can't see or trace it. He's at work. And this is not passive waiting. This is this is active waiting, and this is how he calls us to wait. Wait doesn't mean do nothing and just sit there. Wait means do what you already know to do while you're waiting on God to do what you expect him to do. 
So while I'm waiting, I'm still praying to God because I know that's what he wants me to do. I'm still in my word. Why? Because I know I don't, I don't see what I want to see yet, but I know he hasn't called me not to do what he's already told me to do. So yes, I'm going to be in community with other believers. Why? Because I know, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. This is active waiting. And he's working things out according to his own will. Now, this morning as we were getting ready, I'm there ironing the clothes, and, and RJ comes up to me and he says, Dad, are, are we still going to the Christmas parade? He's talking about the Boynton Beach Christmas parade uh, that happened yesterday. And I said, uh, no, son, that happened already. We're not going to that. And he started to put his head down and start to pout. But I said, it's okay. We'll find another one. And he said, what do you mean? It was yesterday. I said, yeah, but, but do you know how many parades are coming up this season? In other words, I said to him, listen, don't fret because I'm going to take you to another one. He said, you're going to take me to another one? I said, yes, I'm going to take you to another one. And then I hit him with them golden words. I said, I promise. You promise? I promise I'm going to take you to another one. He walked away better. Why? Because there's something about a promise that helps me in the midst of my delay. There's something about when someone credible, that's important, you see, because the promise is only as good as the character of the person that makes the promise. It's, it's, it's something about the promise that helps me endure because I know it may not be here now, but eventually it's going to be here. So what I want to do this morning is take you, before we get to our text, to the first promise in Scripture. You can find that in Genesis 3, verse 15. It should be on the screen. It says this. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Talking about the woman's offspring, humanity, and, 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 and Satan. In other words, there's going to be some tension between those two, but God will raise up from the woman's seed a conqueror that will defeat the enemy. Now, this is in Genesis 3. Now, you may be new uh, to, to the Bible, and you, you don't know the Bible that well, that's cool in the game. I'm so glad you're here. I'm going to help you out. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. We are in chapter 3. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And by chapter 3, humanity has already ruined everything. So God has to make this promise really early in this book. And here's the promise he makes. Eventually, there's going to be someone that's going to crush Satan's head. In other words, there is a snake crusher coming. And so when is it coming? You see, if I am Adam and Eve and Jesus says her seed is going to crush Satan's head, if I'm Adam, this is what I'm thinking. Yo, Eve, hurry up and have this baby. Because this son has to grow up really quick, and then we got to find that snake. And wherever that snake is, we need to crush his head. She has Cain. 
And she got to be thinking, Cain, come on up, hurry up. You know, just in case, we need to have another one of these things. Come on, Abel. And she has two boys, and she's thinking, okay, I got two just in case one misses it. The other one can come and crush his head. But sin has entered the world, and Cain gets upset and kills Abel. And then God has to punish Cain, so he drives Cain out. Now there is no Cain, and there is no Abel, and the snake is still there. And what I mean by snake as I go through this is I'm talking about the repercussions of sin on humanity. Cain can't do it. Abel can't do it. So God gives him a third one. He gives him Seth. Not that Seth, though. The biblical Seth. And Seth begins to start this line, and, 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 and man, if, if, if I'm Adam and Eve, or if I'm just tracking in the book of Genesis, i got to be thinking, could this be the one? Some of y'all are single right now, and you're waiting on the man or woman of God to manifest in your life, and you've got to be thinking, sometimes when you see a guy or see a girl, you've got to be thinking, if you're honest, you've got to be thinking, could this be the one? Could this be the one that my soul longs for? I think all throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament is singing this song, could this be the snake crusher? Maybe it's going to be Noah. You know, Noah, that, that, that great man of faith who finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, who builds this great ark, this, this Mr. Home Depot of a guy. Maybe it's Noah that, that raises up, and, and maybe he'll be the snake crusher, right? Because he's the one that builds the ark and saves humanity. Maybe it's Noah. No, Noah got his own issues. Noah's not the snake crusher. Maybe it'll be Abraham. This great man of faith that God raises up and, and, and he calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and he says, Abraham, I would bless you and I would make you a great nation. Doesn't it make sense for Abraham to be the snake crusher? If, if, if you're going to raise a nation out of one man that you call from his family and tell him to follow you and you don't tell him where he's going, you just tell him to come. And he obeys you and leaves everything and follows you. Certainly that would be the snake crusher. But Abraham is a liar. You see, he's, he can't crush the snake because he's been bitten by it. Maybe it'll be a son, Isaac. No, Isaac can't be the snake crusher. Maybe it'll be Jacob. <laughs> Jacob, his naming trickster, he can't be the snake crusher. He's a deceiver. Abraham provides the seed, Isaac passes it, Jacob multiplies it, and out of Jacob you get 12 tribes of Israel, certainly. Okay, now we got 12. Please tell me one of the 12 get it right. They become a nation. These 12 guys don't get it right. This whole nation doesn't get it right. Ends up in slavery, and God has to raise up a man, one Man, to deliver a nation. Sound familiar? One man. He raises up Moses. And Moses, this, this great deliverer, this great emancipator, leads a nation of over a million people out of slavery and does exploits. Splits Red Seas. Certainly, come on, Moses has to be the snake crusher. No, he handled snakes. 
but he also killed the man. He also struggled with anger. We can go down the line. You can look at judges and maybe Samson or Gideon or Ehud or, or, or Deborah or Barak. Maybe these judges, these great leaders could be the snake crusher. No, they only have momentary obedience. If you read Judges, it is a roller coaster of obeying God and disobeying God and obeying God and disobeying God. It's a lot like your life and mine. Maybe what we need, we don't need just a judge. We need a leader. We need a king. In the book of Samuel, that we're reading as a body in our CBR journal, starts talking to us about, about God raising up from among them one king that would represent them against other nations. And, and they come up with Saul, the picture of jealousy and envy. And then even David, who looks by all measures as a great candidate to be king. But he got Bathsheba problems. Beloved, we can go down the line. We can look at major prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel and Samuel, not our Samuel, and Nahum, not our Nahum. I was thinking this week, why do all my elders have biblical names except me? <laughs> you know, Mark, Markin, that's close enough. <laughs> Started to get depressed and wanted to call my mom and ask her what she was thinking when she named me. Then Pastor Seth sent me a text. He said, Rodney, thy rod and thy staff shall comfort. Oh, oh, oh. Although we do not see the snake crusher in the Old Testament, here's what God laces through the Old Testament to help us wait till the snake crusher shows up. He laces throughout the Old Testament promises. Like in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says, Therefore, the Lord, the Lord himself will give you a sign. That's a promise. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You should call his name Emmanuel. Wait a minute. The virgin will conceive? Something wrong with that. I've never seen that before. God says, I know. That's why I called it a sign. You can't miss it. And in Luke 1.30, we see that fulfilled. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, he says, Thus says the Lord, the voice is heard in Ramah, lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted for the children because they are no more. That is a, a, a prophecy concerning the, the, the murder of children when Jesus is born. Fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Or in Hosea 11. When it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That is a prophecy concerning how Jesus will leave Egypt. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verse, or Luke chapter 2, verse 13. What, Rodney, what are you saying? Very simple. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise given in the third chapter of Genesis. It is Jesus that grows up and crushes Satan's 
head, this is why we worship Jesus. This is why we make much of Jesus. This is why he is littered through every sermon I'm going to preach. Because what you understand is all of the Old Testament is about Jesus. We are not pumping up ourselves here. What we understand, we're like every other person in the Old Testament. We need rescue. We need saving. We need Jesus. This is why this will sound like a broken record in my preaching because I have to make much of the one who has done everything for us. And this same Jesus gives you promises. Like in Psalms 34, here's what he promises you. He says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Their righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. Here's what he's saying. Here's a promise that he gives you that you could take to the bank today. He hears you when you pray. In other words, if I feel like I'm praying and nothing's happening, if I feel like I'm praying and he doesn't hear me, the promise says, I hear you when you pray. He's in the room with you while you're praying. He's in the car with you while you're praying. He's walking with you while you're praying. He hears you when you pray. Well, what about Rodney when I'm tempted? Romans 6.14 tells us this. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. In other words, he's there with you in temptation. He's providing for you in temptation a way of escape. That's a promise. Well, Rodney, what about when I'm experiencing pain? Revelation 21 tells us this, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. I mean, that's good news. Maybe not good news if you're in perfect health, but if you got terminal cancer laying up in a hospital bed, that's good news. If there's sickness all throughout your body and there is no, no, no way for doctors to bring healing, that's good news that in the worst of the worst of the worst situation, you've got promises that you can hold on to. God, that promises is faithful. Well, Rodney, what about when I'm in need? I'm up in church today, but if I'm honest, I got more month than I got money. Right, I'm struggling for provision. Here's something to think about. Romans 8.32 says this, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He got you. You may not have all you want right now. He got you. Some of you are like, Rodney, it's worse. You don't understand. I don't know how I'm making it through the end of December. But let's be honest. This ain't your first time asking that question. Your parents have asked that question. Your parents' parents have asked that question. And all the while, throughout generations, my God has been faithful. He is a promise keeper. Third and lastly... He's our promise keeper. Let's talk about how the snake crusher shows up. 
in Luke, I just want to set the setting for you so you, you, you understand in the setting that Jesus comes. He comes in a time where they're doing registration. This is Caesar. Caesar has had conquered all of his enemies. They, he, he, he's been victorious over all of his foes, and, and Rome is in, in, in complete control. They, they're in so much control, they're, they're doing something called a peace tax. It's a tax that they are charging people because they're not in war and they're at peace. It's peace, but it's not, it's not the peace that Jesus comes to bring. It's the kind of peace that comes through oppression. You see, the Romans, they're, 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 they're doing this registration for two reasons. Number one, they're, they're doing this registration, or this census is a better way to think about it. They're doing this census so they can count how many people live in the region. You know why, so they can know how much to tax. This is about, in part, money. Number two, it's about how many men are in that region. So if war breaks out, he knows where he can draw able men to fight. And the thing they're saying about Caesar at this time is that this word Caesar can also mean uh, the Holy One. Some have called this Caesar, check this, the Savior of the world. This is the context in which Jesus comes in. At a time where they're saying Caesar has brought us peace. When Jesus says, I come to bring you peace. When, when they're saying Caesar is a holy one, when, when Jesus is the true and really real holy one, when Caesar is flaunting his, his ability to be the savior of the world, Jesus is entering into that context as the savior of the world. And so Joseph, said a little bit of this last week, gets Mary ready, and he's heading back to Bethlehem so that he can be counted in this census. Just a little bit of reality, Joseph is probably very young. Mary is probably between 12 and 15 years old. She's a young girl. Now she has to go to Bethlehem from Galilee, a distance of about 80 miles. It is like going from here to Fort Pierce, but not in a car with AC and music playing. You'll be there in an hour. But imagine walking from Boynton Beach to Fort Pierce on foot. Maybe if you're lucky, she can rest on an animal like a donkey. And he's making this trip with her. And he has to be thinking in his mind, I got to make this trip with my young wife. I got to leave my family behind. I got to leave her family behind. So we don't have mentors. We're, we're going on this journey, and, and there's no one walking ahead of us. I feel alone. And I got to get to this place so my husband can be counted in this, this, this census. Got to be thinking, you know, Lord, you the one, you did this. <laughs> Mary was minding her own business. This you're doing. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like, man, God, you called me into this, and now I don't sense you where I am. Let's just not make this a nativity scene. Let's, let's, let's be real about where these two are. Because for some of us, you're marrying your Joseph this morning. You find yourself on this journey. You've been given a promise. Now, now you find yourself in this uncomfortable situation. 
And it's easy when we find ourselves here to say stuff like this. You know what? The reason why I'm here is Caesar's fault. If he didn't do this census, I wouldn't be making my way here. I, just, I guess I just gotta, I just gotta obey what Caesar says. And it's easy for us to think the reason we are going through what we are going through is because of the forces that are in control over us. I want to say this real clearly. There's something greater than your boss. <coughs> There's something greater than the government. There's something greater than, than, than bylaws and stipulations. Joseph and Mary are not just going there for the census. Joseph and Mary are going there out of the sovereignty of a holy and righteous God. In other words, this stuff don't just happen. He's in control the entire time. We know this because in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Here's what Micah is saying some four to five hundred years before Mary and Joseph are on this journey. A, there's going to be one that's coming, and they're from ancient of time. In other words, they're eternal, and they're going to rule over Israel. In other words, there is an eternal ruler coming. Here's where he's going to be born, Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, you are small, you are insignificant, you are a small dot on the map and the landscape of history, but out of this small, forgotten, insignificant thing will I bring the ruler of all rulers and the king of all kings. You're not just going there to be going there, you're going there to fulfill the prophecy that I've spoken four to five hundred years before this event is even happening. In other words, you are not going through what you are going through just to be going through it. You could not be going through it if it did not first pass through his sovereign hands. He's in control. You need to know that. Or you're going to think you're just moving to and fro. And that people and situation and circumstance can just move you like this. And you can feel like a rag doll in life. This stuff ain't just happening to be happening. Beloved, it passed through his hand first. In other words, if it happened, he has a plan to use what happened for his glory and your good. See, in other words, they're not just walking to be walking. They're walking to fulfill prophecy. That's good news for you, and that's good news for me, because Romans 8, 23 tells us, um, he makes all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. We, he works all things in accordance to his own will. So, Rodney, does that mean God is just up there like a puppet master controlling every affair of my life? Well, I want you to hear what John Piper says. He says this, the essence of the Christian life is learning to fight for joy in a way that does not replace grace. We cannot earn God's grace or make it flow apart from his free gift. Watch this. But we can position ourselves to go on getting as he keeps on giving. Say it again. 
we can't position ourselves to go on getting as he keeps on giving. What does it look like to position myself to keep on getting as he keeps on giving me? It's, it's in, in, in other words, he's telling me, would you line up with what I've already said? Some of you, you are, you, you, you are saying, God, I need you to provide. I need you to provide. I need you to make a way. I need you to open doors. Have you been faithful with what he already said? In other words, have you positioned yourself? Some of you are saying, Lord, would you provide? Would you provide for me? Have you been faithful with what he's already given you? God, I want you to heal my marriage. I want you to heal this relationship. Have you been obeying what he's already said? In other words, yes, he's sovereign. Yes, he's in control. But he has called you and I to position ourselves. This happens through surrender, and this happens through obedience. You see, we can, our, we can ready ourselves to remain receivers along his regular route. We make much of stories like, like Ruth in the Bible. Not that Ruth, but the Ruth in the Bible. And boy, she just found her Boaz. She just, God just brought her Boaz to, that girl been positioning herself. And many of us are frustrated with results because we have not positioned ourselves in a way along the route in which God is blessing. He ends it by saying we can call this spiritual disciplines or, or either or better, means of grace. And God shows up. Let's close this. So while they're there, away from family, away from friends, they come to an end, and there's no room for them. This is a beautiful little scene. Shout out to Michelle for putting this thing together. Absolutely beautiful. I love it. I think it's amazing. Awesome praise God. That is nothing about what happened in the text. This is not a cute little manger scene. They are probably outside under the open air right next to animals. And Mary has to deliver. This Friday, we had another baby born into our fellowship. We praise God for that. Little baby faith. And probably had a, praise God, probably had an amazing birth. It was a beautiful birth, I'm, I'm told. It was it was, it was just, it was easy. Praise God for that. Some births are easy, some births aren't. And we praise God that, that this little baby has been born into our fellowship. Well, next Sunday, we're going to be dedicating babies. It's going to be a beautiful time. We'll, we'll bring parents up here. We'll dedicate babies to the Lord. But I want to remind you of how our, how our Lord was born. This is not a beautiful situation. There are no sterile sheets and no clean room. There is no epidural to be offered at any point. She is on the outside under the cold air with stinky animals pushing. And her only midwife is Joseph. And women, you know how men are. Could, I mean, could you imagine that? Were you in pain? Push. They're in the cold. She's out with the animals. Catch this. At Jesus' birth, if you were present, you would smell the animals, 
that desiccated not far from where our Savior was born, mixed with the smell of afterbirth, all in your nostrils, and hear what is absolutely clear about that very unsanitary scene. It is the most miraculous day in all of human history. Because God on that day decided out of his immense love for us to wrap himself in flesh on a rescue mission to save sinful humanity. And he is there in this situation and the word comes to save us without a word. Jesus comes to rescue us. Joseph, seeing her pain, feeling probably humiliated or helpless or shameful that he cannot provide for his young bride. Yet God says, this is the most miraculous day in all of human history because our Savior put on flesh to save us. 